Hello and welcome to FX Talk, an eBury podcast all about the foreign exchange market, where we break down some of the main news headlines in financial markets and give our take on what these developments might mean for the world of FX. My name is Matthew Ryan, Head of Market Strategy here at eBury, and I'm joined as always on the podcast by two of my colleagues, our Chief Risk Officer, Enrique Diaz-Alvarez, and Senior Market Analyst, Roman Zuruk. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of FX Talk. We're delighted, as always, to have you with us to talk through the latest developments in financial markets, and in particular, of course, at the foreign exchange market. And now, since the beginning of the year, the key theme in currencies has undoubtedly been the improvement we've seen in risk sentiment. We've seen an appreciation in some of the high-risk currencies at the expense of the lower-risk ones, most notably the US dollar. The dollar index has fallen to its lowest level since June 2022 and has extended its sell-off to more than 10% since October as the Federal Reserve slows its hiking cycle and global recession fears abate. Among some of the best performers have been those closely linked to China in the G10, that means the Australian dollar, while among emerging markets, some of the strong performances have been among those in Asia, most notably the Thai bars, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. The Brazilian real, Chilean peso in Latin America have also both performed rather well, given their close links uh, with China. And we're going to talk about the Chinese reopening and the potential winners and losers from that in a little bit. Uh, but first, why are we seeing this US dollar retracement? Um, well, partly because we are seeing signs of a downtrend uh, in US inflation. All the talk in 2022 was how high Federal Reserve interest rates could go in response to this surge in US prices. Uh Attention now, though, is shifting to when we could potentially see an end to the tightening cycle, now that inflation finally appears to have peaked in the US. Last week's CPI report came in much weaker than expected. The headline rate fell to 6.5%, which was its lowest level since October 2021, while monthly prices fell for the first time since May 2020. And even the core rate of inflation fell to 5.7%, which is also its lowest level in around a year. As one would expect, the dollar traded quite sharply lower. And at the time of recording, euro dollar is back up above 108. Cable, which is sterling against the US dollar, is back around the 124 level. And every G10 currency is trading higher against the US dollar year to date, with the exception of the Norwegian krona. But the big question is, what does this report mean for the Federal Reserve and subsequently, of course, the U.S. dollar? What do you guys think? I mean, it's clear that uh, that the inflation, the inflation picture has changed uh, in the last six months. Uh, we first had saw some stabilization. And now if you look at the core inflation numbers in the U.S., uh, the downward trend is very modest, but very clear. Like if you look at the three-month average, running average of the of the core inflation, um, it's it's clearly headed down. Uh, there is some questions there to how fast and how far it will fall. Let's not forget that wages are now rising at levels depending on the index between five and and six and a half percent. So um, with that level of of wage growth and the labor market essentially staying at, at or beyond full employment, 
uh, is perhaps hard to see a much faster drop than we've seen. But clearly, for the first time since in, in almost two years, I, I think that there is a clear cut case for the Federal Reserve to lift its foot of the of the brake and wrap up for now um, its its hikes. Um, maybe at the, after one or at most two more in the next two meetings. The question is how fast are these hikes going to be unwound? And I think that the market is 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 discounting sufficiently the possibility that uh, inflation around four percent, which is around five percent, growing at five percent, are going to be stickier than we think, and rates are going to need to stay here at this levels for a long time. But in the short term, I think that the market is correct to see uh, an end to Fed, to Fed cycles for now, quite soon. So in my opinion, I think the uh, inflation report has been very good. Uh, in general, the inflation reports that we have received uh, over the past few months uh, have only solidified the position that mm, the Fed doesn't need to hike rates as aggressively. Uh, I think that they are going to move to mm, hiking rates in a intervals, in smaller intervals, such as 25 basis points. And I would expect uh, one such hike in February and uh, also one such hike in March. Uh, I actually wanted to quote the same statistic that you mentioned, Enrique, so the three-month annualized rate of core inflation. Uh, and to put some numbers on it, right now we are looking at the data at 3.1%. And for many months, we have this number at about 6% or even higher. So I think that the shift uh, has been quite significant and uh, everything is pointing to disinflation. And therefore, I think that the need for aggressive policy tightening is not there anymore. And my question, I think the question for markets in the coming months will turn more from how high the rates uh, will go to when are we going to start seeing rate cuts? Yes, no, and that tends to be the case as well. Let's not forget the US economy um, is a little bit of a leader in, in this sense. And most inflation prints in the major economic areas are also starting to follow suit. If we look at the Eurozone inflation there, the headline rate at least has fallen to its lowest level in four months. In the UK, we're finally beginning to see signs of a peak in headline inflation. That's fallen to its lowest level in three months. Um, so these do still remain at lofty levels, but I agree with you guys. It looks likely that additional hikes um, are still warranted. But as you said, Roman, um, the end to tightening cycles does appear on the way and, and does appear in sight. Um, and, and I think that is partly helping this recovery in risk assets and risk currencies. Uh, moving on now, well, let's shift the focus away from the largest economy in the world to the second largest, which has been in the news quite a lot of late, and that is, of course, China. Um, now, authorities in China unexpectedly abandoned their zero COVID strategy in December, following long backlash and widespread protests. This has raised optimism that China could experience a little bit of a growth rebound in 2023, which has generally supported risk appetite in the past couple of months or so, in particular emerging market currencies, notably, of course, the Chinese yuan, which has risen to its highest level since July against the broadly weaker US dollar. Macroeconomic news out this week um, out of China has also provided further encouragement. Uh, retail sales, industrial production, um, both comfortably beat expectations for December. Of even greater significance was the Q4 GDP print that unexpectedly 
posted flat growth despite the strict zero COVID measures that were in place in China for most of the quarter. And indeed, the annual growth number came in at 2.9%, which was greater than the 1.8% economists had penciled in. And now I wanted to talk about potentially some of the winners and losers of China's reopening among currencies. But before we do that, firstly, I wanted to get your guys' view as to what the, the reopening of the Chinese economy and this week's strong Chinese data could mean for the outlook for both the Chinese economy and the global economy, and maybe possible impacts this could have on PBOC monetary policy. What, what do you guys think? I mean, I think that uh, the news are quite kind to our worldview. Our worldview is, is that uh, recession, the risk of recessions is generally exaggerated around the world, um, that, uh, that um, we're very unlikely to see anything beyond at most a technical recession in, in some economic areas of one quarter of technically negative growth. And the fact that uh, China seems to be following with a couple of years delay the, the playbook of the real, that we saw in the reopening on the Eurozone and, and, and the U.S. with uh, lots of pent-up demand, lots of consumer demand that has been uh, throttled back by the, the years of restriction, hitting limited uh, supply capabilities. We're, we're, I think we're going to see that in China. So I think that the margin, um, the uh, what uh, China is reopening is means is um, higher inflationary pressures than we would have seen otherwise, um, higher commodity prices. Uh, and what I call a stock market friendly uh, in inflationary pressures in which um, the main constraint to Chinese uh, economic growth is is uh, the, abs- the is supply. Um, so I'm, I'm very confident that our view that emerging market currencies are going to have a good 2023 uh, is supported by, by the Chinese reopening and the fact that we're already seeing uh, economic, macroeconomic data and high frequency indicators coming up with expectations in China. I'm also positive on Chinese economy in 2023. Um, however, I would uh, go back to the moment that we are uh, right now, um, considering that uh, the situation is certainly difficult. Uh, a few days ago, uh, Chinese medical authorities have uh, confirmed that uh, about 60,000 people died uh, from COVID or linked illnesses since the beginning of December. This has only been the first wave of COVID. We also, China has two more waves ahead of, um, ahead. Um, so the first quarter of the year is likely going to be quite difficult. I don't think we are going to see significant rebound because of that. Uh, also, uh, those infections will be driven by the uh, Lunar New Year uh, holidays uh, that are just around the corner and that uh, tend to uh, be associated with uh, one of the largest migrations uh, of human population uh, nowadays. Uh, so I think that the coming months uh, will be difficult. However, starting at the end of the uh, first quarter and especially in the second quarter and uh, later, I think that the rebound is going to be rather sharp. Uh, one thing that I would uh, mention here is a high degree of savings. Savings was uh, something that has certainly helped the economies after they uh, decided to uh, reopen the Western economies and general economies around the globe. And I think that this effect in China will be very strong, just considering how, uh, you know, to how uh, saving plays an important role in, in Chinese economy in general, and uh, how this pent up demand, uh, because of that, has the potential to really be a big driver of the economy. Mm. 
also, I would think that uh, after a, a really bad period for the uh, property sector, we should see some stabilization uh, and then some perhaps improvements uh, later down the uh, road, uh, especially if the economic situation normalizes, uh, then we should uh, probably see some uh, demand for houses. And this is something that is needed to really revive the sector. Um, also, I think that an important uh, part of the uh, Chinese growth story is uh, support from the authorities. Uh, policy in China is loose, monetary policy, but also uh, we had uh, an, many announcements of Chinese authorities supporting especially the property sector, but also they seem to be looking with a more kind eye uh, in at private sector in general, uh, which is uh, in contrast to in 2021. Uh, so I, I think that uh, savings, the authorities' decisions, uh, the uh, possible improvement in the property sector, uh, and uh, also better external prospects, because we cannot also forget about those. I think they should play nicely uh, starting uh, in late uh, first quarter or early second quarter, and we should uh, probably see a Chinese growth in 2023 of about 5% or even more. Uh, compared to 3% in 2022. Super. Now, as mentioned, I wanted to touch on some of the currencies that are perhaps best placed to benefit from China's reopening. Uh, and really here, we're looking at some of those that are closely linked to demand from China, whether that be export revenue, tourism revenue, or overall GDP. Um, now, there are perhaps uh, a few obvious ones um, and maybe a few more obscure ones. So extra points for picking some of the more obscure ones uh, uh, that could benefit from this China reopening. Um, but, but what do you guys think? Which currencies do you think could do well from China's reopening? Uh, and are, are there any that maybe could underperform as a result? I'll let Roman take that question first. That's a difficult one. I'm trying to... Uh, I, I, I like your challenge to pick ones that are not uh, obvious ones. <laughs> so I need a minute to think about this. <laughs> yeah. Roman, up to you. all yours. I mean, the, the most obvious answer to this uh, would be to mention the countries that have a significant trade exposure to China and also a countries that uh, pre-pandemic had lots of Chinese tourists. So those countries would include Korea, Thailand, Singapore. And I think that they should be one of the uh, most benefiting um, from uh, this shift. Uh, however, I also would think of uh, some more obscure ones. Uh, well, one country is Europe. Obviously, Europe after the Southeast Asia is the is China's main trading partner, uh, the EU. So I think that certainly this is something that also leads to an improvement in economic prospects in Europe. Uh, also, when we are speaking about the G10 countries, uh, the Antipodian countries, uh, so such as New Zealand and Australia, are the ones that I would think also should benefit. Uh, and uh, maybe, Enrique, you have some more obscure ones, but if not, uh, later I can uh, add a few uh, of my mm -hmm. picks. I mean, I, my, I'm not going to pick an obscure one, but I th I'm going to pick, a, I hope, a non-obvious one. I think that uh, the Chinese reopening is going to be very good for the commodity complex. I still think that the, uh, the basic structural factors were, not, especially in oil, but not just in oil, where we have not seen the level of investment in exploration and finding new sources of supply across the commodity complex in this in this in the latest 
uh, upswing in prices still holds. Um, and I think that um, commodity prices uh, are going to be are going to be quite helped by this Chinese reopening. I think the Latin American currencies in general will be will benefit from it. And I'm going to be, pick specifically the Chilean peso for its dependent in in the cop- copper prices, Dr. Copper, as they call it. So I'm going to go with the Chilean peso. Very good pick. Yes, uh, you've actually picked one of mine. So I was. Oh, I, I've got a couple. <laughs> That's okay. Don't worry. I've got a couple that I've um, that I would like to highlight. I mean, first of all, I mean one that you mentioned, Roman. Actually, I think, which is a currency that I've been a little bit surprised by that hasn't performed all that well uh, in the past sort of month or two, and that's in the New Zealand dollar. Um, now, prior to the pandemic, at least Chinese demand accounted for around about twenty five percent of New Zealand's exports and around about five percent of its GDP. Um, but if we look at the New Zealand dollar, it's actually underperformed its Australian counterpart fairly significantly in the past month or two. So I think there's a little bit of room for a further rally uh, in the New Zealand dollar. Uh, and the second one I wanted to highlight, which um, which you've gone for, Enrique, would be the Chilean peso, which I think is a little bit of a, um, perhaps a little bit more of an obscure choice than some of the other ones. Um, for me, I mean, this should benefit, first of all, from high exposure to China through export demand is around about 40%, um, again, prior to the pandemic. But also, Chile is very heavily reliant on copper production. It's around about 30% of its overall export revenue. And China is by far and away the largest consumer of copper in the world. So I think there is um, uh, twice as many reasons to be be bullish um, over the Chilean peso. Great. And now that leads us nicely into our uh, final little section, which is our spotlight currency section. Uh, and as we tend to do, we generally pick a currency that is either in the news or has experienced large volatility or, or big swings in, in value in the past uh, few weeks or so. This week, we're going for the Thai baht, um, which, as I said, fits quite nicely into our conversation on some of the best performers from China's reopening. Uh, now, since collapsing to its lowest level in 16 years in November, the baht has been one of the best performing currencies in the world, certainly of those that we cover. And now part of this under, or outperformance, I should say, has been due to Thailand's close links to China. Um, tourism accounted for around about 20% of GDP prior to the pandemic. Around one quarter of that was from China. But uh, given the strict virus restrictions that we've seen on both sides, these tourism inflows have barely recovered. It's actually less than 10% of their pre-COVID levels um, as recently as November. Um, so news of an easing in these restrictions should be a big positive for the Thai economy, and that has helped uh, the bar rally uh, against the US dollar and in real effective exchange rate terms, um, which is now its highest level in two years. Um, so what's next for the Bart, what do you guys think? And is it a buy, sell, or a hold opportunity? In my, my mind, definitely a buy, a very strong buy. I think that, like you say, we have only seen the beginning of the positive as- impact on the Thai economy of the reopening of the Chinese uh, one. Uh, I think that tourism in general um, is, is, uh, some, uh, is still even... Without it having recovered the uh, 2019 levels, still the Daikon is performing quite well. The fundamentals are very strong. Uh, its its current account is now is projected to be back to positive uh, 
this quarter. Um, and I just, I, I think that the, it's, it's positioning, the positioning of the Thai economy with its, its dependence on, on tourist revenues is, is quite ideal for going into 2023. Uh, in addition to that, in, in, on a medium to long term view, it remains. It doesn't. It's not at all expensive. So I, I think it's a clear buy. Yeah, for me, it would be between a halt and a buy. Uh, I would agree with uh, most of your points. Uh, however, uh, at the same time, I think that, I mean, we experienced a fifteen percent rally in the currency over the past three months. All of the losses from twenty twenty two have already been recovered. So I don't exactly think that there is a, a lot of uh, the potential left in the currency to rebound and. Certainly, I, I think that there are some picks in Asia that uh, seem to be underpriced or that have not benefited to the extent that uh, I would assume that they should. Uh, but I don't think that the Thai bat uh, would belong to this category. So I would say that for me, it would probably be a, a hold. Also, I would uh, mention that the Thailand Central Bank uh, doesn't seem to be a particularly hawkish they haven't done a lot of hiking. So it also uh, is something that for me is uh, supporting this hold view uh, more than a, a buy view. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Roman. Actually, I've gone for a hold as well on the tire part. Um, China opening a clear positive. Obviously, I don't disagree uh, with that regard. But as you've mentioned, Roman, and as I said um, a couple of minutes ago, the, the real effective exchange rate of the bar has has risen quite sharply uh, in the past few months or so, as I said, the highest level in a couple of years, which could limit, I think, the room for an additional rally. Well, I don't necessarily think that this reopening of China will necessarily be immediately reflected in in Thailand's current account. I think that could be perhaps a little bit more of a, of a gradual normalisation there. So for me, I think risks mostly balanced for now. So I, I would hold the Thai bars from current levels. <laughs> And that's it from us. If you're keen to hear more about our thoughts on the FX market, visit Ebreed's website or follow us on social media. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favourite podcast app. And let us know if there are any topics you'd like to hear more on during upcoming episodes. Keep an eye out for our next episode in a fortnight's time. Thank you all very much for listening. <laughs>